We're going to be in Romans 14, if you want to open up to that. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that the the words we just sung were not um, just what we were reading off a screen. God, that you're mindful of us is amazing. That we have somehow been served as a completely undeserving people by the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Lord, we've also proclaimed in song this morning that um, Jesus, you're all this heart is living for. And uh, this morning in Romans 14, we're going to address those things that may reveal otherwise at times in our life where, in fact, we're, we're living for ourselves or for our own ideas or for our own opinions. Lord, I pray for clarity this morning. I pray that you would focus our hearts and our minds as this is, um, we're talking about a, a big problem in Hunt County uh, with the people who are very divided and easily brought to the point of quarreling with each other. So, Lord, it's appropriate that we have sung what we have sung, and I pray that it's coming from hearts that are ready to engage your word and be humbled even further so that we might rightly represent your glory, so that we might not misrepresent the truth about oneness in Christ, and so that we might rightly love each other as you call us to love each other. Not this kumbaya, vague love, but a specific love that exists only because of the finished work of the cross and the empty tomb. God, your ways are higher than our ways, and a lot of times we get really wrapped up thinking about our ways and the way we want to do things, and I pray that you would just break us of that as we engage your word this morning. We love you and we praise you. We thank you for Jesus, and we need him desperately this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The title of the sermon today is called Different Beliefs Within the Same Faith. Different beliefs within the same faith. It may sound odd at first, because you would think, well, if we're the same faith, we have the same beliefs, right? And that's actually not the way God designed it, and we're going to look at that this morning. But there's a few things that I want to address before we jump into Romans 14. One is that a different belief is not always a sin. It may also be faithful. And what I mean is that for everyone sitting here, you may be convinced that doing something in response to the word is that my family or myself are led to do this. And someone else may say, you know, I I heard the same word, but I feel led to do this. And what we're going to look at this morning is that a different belief is not always a sin. It may also be faithful, similar to the belief you hold strongly. What we're addressing this morning is the kind of division that results in quarreling. Um, 
I'm not talking about sin. I'm not saying that, oh, well, you know, just dismiss the sins, open different beliefs in the same faith. It, it's a wide way. Y'all just come on. You want to be baptized? That's fine. You don't want to? That's okay. Never mind. You, you, wanna, you don't want to read the Bible? You want to read something? That's fine. Whatever. We're not talking about that kind of different beliefs in the same faith. If it is a sin, it is a sin. If it's sin, you're called to confess it so that you may be healed. If it's a sin, you're called to repent and follow Jesus. If it's a sin, uh, you are called to put it to death, to kill it, within a community of believers. We're talking about these different beliefs that we can hold in the same faith, but we're talking about how they're not to result in quarreling between the people of God. Do you, does anyone in here know any believers who quarrel with other believers? Is that laughable? It's laughable. I mean, it's like, really? That, uh, in a sense... I'm really burdened for this message this morning because I feel like it's almost something we're marked by. I feel like, especially in Hunt County, it's like, it's la- it's like yeah, they, they love fighting with each other. And it's not rightly representing the oneness that Christ died for. That's what we're addressing this morning. Another thing that I want to address before we jump into it is that um, I shared the title of the sermon with, with a friend who has strong convictions who I respect greatly. And I said, when I say different beliefs within the same faith, what is it, what just, what jumps into your head? And he says, oh man, it makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up. It feels like you're talking about just this wishy-washy, no conviction whatsoever. We just all want to get along and hold hands and sing and cry. And that's not what the aim of this is. Rather than diminishing convictions our hope is that this would help us to hold convictions more, more strongly, to, to be more fully convinced as to what we believe, but to hold those convictions rightly. Everyone has convictions. Everyone has a belief. Everyone has an opinion. And I, the phrase conviction, it can be defined in a lot of different ways. You can be convicted about a sin. Again, if it's sin, repent and follow Jesus. Put it to death. Confess it that you may be healed. But like, you may be convicted like, oh, I feel like we should give to this. That's another way of using the word conviction. So again, up front, if it's sin, you repent, you follow Jesus, confess so that you may be healed, put it to death. But I don't want to diminish our convictions. I want to hopefully address this thing in Romans 14 so that we hold our convictions firmly but rightly without quarreling with each other if there's a difference in opinion on the way things should be done. Because as we all know, we're very good at quarreling. In this community, oh man, I'm going to share some examples. It's, it's, it's a plague of, of sorts that, that we're so good at the quarreling. Another thing I want to address is that while I'm saying different beliefs within the same faith, I'm saying it's the same faith and we should be able to stand next to someone who has a different belief in that faith and, and even be arm in arm with them at, at certain times. Maybe we don't all do everything together all the time, but we shouldn't badmouth them and steer people away from them because there's a different belief, because it is indeed the same faith. But even then, I want to address up front that the way is still narrow that leads to life. The way is still narrow. Matthew 7, in Matthew 7, Jesus says it like this, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few." Today, I'm addressing those in the narrow way. This, this scripture is addressing those who are in the narrow way, 
Not those who are walking according to the ways of the world, forsaking Christ altogether, but those who are embracing these truths about Christ and those who are in the narrow way. Now, in Greenville, some of y'all have heard me say this a bajillion times, but it's important because of how terrifying it is. There's roughly, Greenville surrounding area is about 100,000 people, and out of all those people, there's um, over 100 Christian churches, and there's only about 5% that are actually active members. So you live in a culture that is 95% unchurched. That's 95% unchurched. So the way is narrow. You live in a culture where if you're walking that narrow way, you're of the 5% who even claim to be professing to be members of a church who are supposed to be those who are in that narrow way. So the other thing that I need to address as I'm addressing those in the narrow way, and I do this humbly, I'm addressing the things we fight about, so I'm worried about like, you know, someone throwing a stone or something, you know, someone wanting to fight. Not all church members are believers. I'm not saying that. Jesus said that. Not all people who are just on a member role, who even take part in activities, are truly believers. In that same chapter in Matthew 7, in verse 21 through 23, Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So the way is narrow. Even those who claim to be in the narrow way, not all of them truly are. But for those in the narrow way, we must understand that we must stop fighting over opinion and different beliefs that fall within the exact same faith that none of us deserve. That's what we're talking about this morning. So my hope is that you would see the reality of your situation here in Greenville. We're going to talk about it more. My hope is that we would each see our natural tendency to fuel the sad reality. All of us can easily get wrapped up in quarreling and fighting over different things as members who are supposed to love one another and represent the oneness of Christ. We all have a natural tendency towards that. Christ died to overcome the natural tendency, but we need to be aware of it so that we can embrace Christ rightly. My my other hope is just that, that we would see how the reality of Christ invades our way of uh, thinking so as to break down the walls of any remaining hostility. This message has been on my heart for a long time. In my first few years at Crosspoint, I taught through the book of Romans with the students. And Romans is a letter written by Paul, and it's one of the most phenomenal pieces of literature that you will ever read. It is thorough. It is complete. It explains the differences. It explains the details about who Christ is, what He has done, and how the world is completely changed because of it. It explains justification by faith alone, and it's not a matter of faith plus anything. It's not Jesus plus this. It's not Jesus plus the right way to do VBS or Jesus plus the right kind of worship music. It's Jesus, and Romans is all about that. And so, as I taught through that book of Romans with uh, the students, I learned a lot. And in those same first few years, I learned a lot about this new place that I lived. And I became saddened as I learned more about the church culture of Greenville and Hunt County. We actually hold a record of most churches per capita, uh, but we have very little to brag about. You can't say, oh man, we're, we're very Christianly, godly, Christiany speaking people because we have many churches. That's not something for us to brag about. 
In our situation, the further research I did, I found that most of the churches are not a result of multiplication, but of division. They're not a result of, hey, man, we're, we're just busting out of the wall. Let's go plan over here, okay, and then we're going to keep walking together. Let's plan over here and keep walking together. It's usually, nah, I don't like that. Let's go start this because I don't like that. Division, not multiplication. So to brag about that would be the equivalent of bragging about your 14 marriages. It's not honorable, but it is telling. In the wake of what's happened over these last few decades, there's a trail of things you guys, everyone in here is familiar with. There's a trail of heartache, frustration, anger, self-righteousness, doubt. There's also trust and forgiveness issues. There's many people in here who can look at another believer in this community or another minister in this community at another church and say, man, I thought they loved me. What happened? And they could be sitting over there saying, man, I thought they loved me. Where'd they go? Everyone has, almost everyone I've met, has their sad church story, their nightmare even, that they can tell. So I want to share some examples. These are some examples. These are sources of possible division. Just, there's going to be so many examples that come out because we don't, we're not at a loss for examples. We live in a community that's drowning in examples of ways that we can be divided and quarrel. But these are sources of possible division that don't have to result in quarreling, but they oftentimes result in quarreling. And what I want you all to know before I read this is this week, we're talking about why we should welcome the weaker brother. And we're going to get to Romans 14 in a second why we should welcome one who is weaker in the faith. And next week, we're going to talk about how to welcome one who is weaker in the faith. But here's some examples within the body of those who profess Christ of ways that things that could lead to quarreling because they're sources of possible division. That pastor who tried to do things his way, usually that new pastor that tries to do things his way. Sometimes he's trying to do things God's way while you're throwing rocks at him. The young families who tried to change the way that we've been doing things here for years, all those darn young families with their children changing the way we've done things for years here. This is real. I'm not making that up. My first Sunday here with my wife, we were coming to kind of be a fly on the wall, say, Lord, are you really calling us to Greenville? I didn't even, the only thing I knew about Greenville when I moved here is it's where the weatherman stands. You're always going, what's the temperature in Greenville? That's all I knew about Greenville. <laughs> and uh, so we didn't know much, and we pulled up to 34 and 1570, and I said, well, there it is. And Lindsay goes, where? <laughs> you see that little L-shaped thing over there? Yeah, well, I was at a church of like 3,000 before that, so I wasn't used to small town anything. I lived in North Dallas. And, uh, and so we were coming to be a fly on the wall and say, Lord, are you calling us here? You know, is this, is this for real? We'd only been married for a few months. She thought I was probably crazy. And, uh, and we get here and we come in and, well, first we pulled up and there was a sign outside that we had the lettered signs that says, we're not Sunday, but our Dairy Queens are, we're not Dairy Queen, but our Sundays are great. That's what it said. <laughs> and, uh, and I was like, mm, going deep today. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, and then I, I, uh, we walked in, and we came in, and we're standing at the door, and we're just kind of you know, getting to know the place, and we're walking in, and at that back door right there, there's a couple standing there, and I heard a, a lady, very angry lady, say, honey, there is someone in our seats again this week. <laughs> Those young families coming in, changing things, taking your seat. The church staff that couldn't get along, 
the deacon meeting that got way out of hand, the building campaign that resulted in a church split, the church split that resulted in families unresolved in their conflicts and alienated from each other, the scandal that caused people to lose faith in their pastors, their ministers, sometimes even their church altogether. What's the point in doing that? See, the, the saddest thing about each of these scenarios is that they're not abnormal to us. There's no one in here going, oh, I never. They're not abnormal to us. We hear these things and we say things like, well, here we go again. Or, well, I can't say I'm surprised. And when these types of differences happen, when these things come along, along with a gamut of other things we're going to talk about, they usually result in leaving, just leaving. What I mean is that we, people saved by grace, do not have a history of being able to work through things. We don't. We, a people redeemed by Christ, do not have a history of being able to resolve conflicts. We, a people who have sinned against the King of Kings and received complete forgiveness, do not have a track record for being able to forgive our brothers and sisters in Christ. And I'm not talking about overlooking sin. Many of us sitting here have a long record of wrongs that we've kept and we continue to add to. And that goes against the very way God defines love. Love does not keep a record of wrongs. If you have a record of wrongs, it's going against God's definition of love. So these realities were surfacing for me about this weird new mission field that uh, the Lord had brought us to. And as I was learning those things, Romans 14 introduced me to a culture that was very similar to my new home. And that culture is a culture we're going to engage this morning, and it's the culture of the church in Rome. The church in Rome is real similar to the church in Greenville. So we're going to engage that. Turn to Romans 14 if you're not already there and read with me. This is the church in Rome, and Paul's addressing them. Romans 14, verse 1. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. Let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It's before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. Think of those words we just sang. This heart is only for Jesus, not myself. I am the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be the Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother, another one who is in the narrow way, just like you? Or why do you despise your brother? See how he does that? He says, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? It's personal. For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account 
of himself to God, not everyone else. Now pray with me again. Lord, I want to confess publicly that everything I'm about to address, I am guilty of. I have despised and I have judged and I have held a record of wrongs with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ who you died to forgive. God, my prayer is that we would come in humbly this morning, teachable, not seeing all the words as fighting words. The only way I can move forward in this message, Lord, is humbly and by the work of your Spirit. If your Spirit's not at work in this message, I'm sitting down immediately. Again, Lord, we proclaim we desperately need you as we engage these truths. In Jesus' name, amen. Between the history of division in our churches, this history of division that we have, the result is that today there's a lot of division between churches. It's very hard to do things with another church. It's very hard. Um, it's some of the only success I've seen in this community, some, there may be others I don't know about, where churches are actually partnering together for something, churches who are made up of people who have different beliefs within the same faith, and even their, their differences are good. They can be faithful. The only time I see them being able to partner up is usually if there's a non-church, a non-profit organization that's not a church that's kind of the middleman, like Fish Ministries, that's very successful. But I think if just a church was trying to do it, it'd be hard because someone would say, ah, oh, no, those guys do this. And there's, then there's division there. But we have this history of division, and there's a present-day division between our churches, and sometimes, sadly, oftentimes, there's division within our churches, within a single local church. Romans 14 here paints a picture that this division occurs because of our inability to have different beliefs within the same faith. This division occurs because of our inability to have different beliefs within the same faith. We elevate our opinions and our convictions to the point of absolute truth. We take what we think is right and we put that as absolute truth. And we hold everybody else to that standard. And that's sin. We can't do that. Be convicted. Have a belief. Know what you believe. Be fully convinced. Don't waver. Don't be a sissy in your belief. Be strong in your belief. But don't let your opinion be the standard that everyone else is supposed to meet. What I'm saying is this, we elevate our opinions and personal convictions to the point of absolute truth. It's those in the narrow way making decisions about how to live life day to day in a fallen world. You and other fellow brothers and sisters in Christ are making decisions how to live life in a fallen world so that you can rightly put the glory of Christ on display. And it's going to be different. For some people, they'll land in the place, well, we need to do this, or we need to move to this neighborhood. You know what? We need to pack up and move our family to Kazakhstan. For other people, it's different. And you know what? We need to stay here. We need to be more about Christ and our jobs or other things, which we'll address later. But we can't elevate our opinions to the point of absolute truth. What, that, what I'm saying is that that results in, if they don't do it the way my church does it, then they're wrong. Just wrong. Like we could say, if that church over there doesn't do it the way that we're doing it, they're wrong. That's what that leads to. Or if this new church doesn't do it the way my church growing up did it, or the way that I'm used to it being done, then they're wrong. The result's always going to be that different is wrong. 
the result is always going to be that different is wrong if we can't have different beliefs within the same faith and acknowledge it as still faithful. Meaning, if it's different than the way that I think it should be or the way that I'm used to it being, then it is wrong. This is, why, this is one reason why it's dangerous to visit a church one time and think you have the ability to pick apart everything that's wrong with that church. It's dangerous to visit a church one time and think that you have the ability to pick apart everything that's wrong. First, there's probably more wrong with it than you can see in one visit. It's sinners working, fighting, scraping, doing their best to glorify the Lord. But it's sinners, and there's going to be issues, and you've got to work through them. That's why he tells us, don't welcome someone to quarrel with them, but do what you can to build them up. When people are visiting churches, my encouragement is visit for a month at a time at least. Know the language of the people there. What are they speaking from the pulpit? What are they doing with what is spoken from the pulpit? What's the movement of this body? Can you see their hearts in the overflow of their mouth? See, you can't just see the hearts of a people by sitting in one church service in the back and getting angry about the things that are different from the way that you're used to. You need to engage the people. You need to see their hearts and their words. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. But to say that different is wrong is, is not an innocent not an acceptable way of thinking. It's precisely this kind of thinking that leads to hate crimes and deep-seated multi-generational racism. Different is wrong. They're not like us, so they're wrong. And guess what? We have a history of deep-seated multi-generational racism in Hunt County as well. It's a way of thinking that invades many things. This sermon is a minefield. Good night. My heart is racing. It's a minefield. I'd rather not broach this. I would rather not do this. But in light of what the Lord has revealed to us in the last few weeks, on the heels of a message that reminds us of what it means to be in Christ, and another message that reminds us of how Christ died to break down the walls of hostility between brothers and sisters in Christ, I think it's important that we look carefully at God's remedy for a situation such as the one here in Hunt County. Romans 14.1 says, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. There's some things we need to get from that first verse so that these other things will fall in line. First, within the same faith, there are some who are weaker and some who are stronger. Within the same faith, there are some who are weaker and some who are stronger. Now, that may hit some of y'all like, who do you think you are? Some are weaker and some are strong. We're all in Christ. Yes, we are all in Christ. And I'm not saying that some are more saved and some are less saved. But what I am saying is that I would hope that my faith is stronger than my three-year-old. Or she doesn't even confess Christ yet. I see signs of hopeful, maybe belief, but hopefully, you know, your fourth grader is, is not trumping you in, in, the, in the faith that you're showing. There's different measures of faith, and it's not just a matter of us saying, well, stronger, weaker, stronger, weaker, stronger, weaker. That's not the point. It's what God does. As for the one who is weak in faith, he's in faith, but he's weaker. There are some who are weaker and some who are stronger. Romans 12 actually defines it as, um, it goes as far as to say that it's God who gives to different believers different measures of faith. 
God gives different believers different measures of faith. You know what the result is going to be? Different beliefs within the same faith. That's what happens. It's God's design. You're not any less saved, but there are different measures of faith as given by God. This is really important for us to understand for a few reasons. First, if we think that everyone has the same measure of faith, then you will inevitably get angry with someone when their belief is different than yours. Why in the world do you not see it like I see it? Well, you may be weaker, or you may be stronger. But if you think that there's no difference between the measure of faith that you may have with someone else, when a different belief comes up, you're just going to get angry. I was trying to think of an example, and this is a horrible example, but hopefully it'll do something. Let's say you have the same lawnmower as your neighbor, exact same lawnmower, and it's Saturday morning or Sunday. I don't mow on Sunday. Whatever, we'll get to that. Um, uh, and you go out, and both of y'all mow the lawn, and yours just looks pristine, nice, no stray pieces of grass flowing the complexion of your lawn. And then the neighbor, it's like, were you blindfolded? What happened? That looks horrible. We've got the same mower, man, and yours looks horrible, and mine looks wonderful. What happened? It's the same mower. If we think of faith in terms of our faith is the exact same, there's no different measure, then we'll be just like that. We'll be, what? We're this, this is the same. Why are you not seeing things the way that I see them and doing things the way that I do them and making the decision that I make and having the opinion that I have? There's different measures of faith in the same, different measures of belief in the same faith. So you'll inevitably get angry if you don't see that. If we do not acknowledge that there are other believers who may be weaker in their faith, if you don't acknowledge that as a reality, then here's some things you will never be quickened to. You'll never be quickened to welcome and encourage and abandon all Christian liberties for the sake of your weaker brother. If he doesn't exist in your mind, why work towards that? you don't believe that there may be a weaker brother or sister, you will never take seriously the call to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please yourselves. You'll never take seriously the call to seek to please your neighbor for his good, to build him up. You would be thinking, no one needs building up. We're all the same. You would never be serious about the call to never put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother or to pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Seeking peace doesn't even make sense unless we see that there are differences between the beliefs of those who are weaker and those who are stronger. I'm saying there's different beliefs in the same faith because God gives different measures of faith, and that's going to be the result. Here's the flip side. This is the one that's harder for everybody. If we do not believe that there are those who are stronger than us, in their faith, then we will become stagnant and stale in our faith. It's inevitable. It's just logic at that point. There's no way for you to grow if you feel like there's no room for growth. If you feel like, I'm there, I've arrived. No, maybe there's someone who's stronger than you in their faith, who's walked a few more years, who's experienced a few more things, who's studied a little more Scripture, who's prayed more and sought what God desires, and maybe they have something to say to you. But there's no room to grow if you feel there's no room for growth. There's no room for teachability. Teachability is a big thing. 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall fully know, even as I have been fully known. There's a truth and there's an anticipation here that's cherished. But it's only cherished by the one who realizes that they have not arrived. 
We're a people in process. You've heard Ben say that many times. It's because it's important. Not a single person in here has completed the process of sanctification. Ding, done. No, not one of us. Not a single person in here has gone from being in the process of being made holy to just being holy. Hi, I'm holy. I can help you. (laughs) And maybe the craziest part about this whole process is this. It's not just, and you've seen this in the previous messages, it's not just the weaker ones who need the stronger ones. This is, the, this is beauty here. It's not just the weaker who need the stronger. By God's design, everyone is needed and everyone is needy. The strongest believer sitting in this room, by God's design, needs the one who is the weakest. Because how is the one who is the weakest made able to stand? It's the Lord who was able to make him stand. By God's design, there are needs there. Let me explain. Everyone is needed, everyone is needy. The older, wiser, stronger Christians are by God's design having an example set for them by those who are younger and maybe even weaker. 1 Timothy 4, that's what I've been teaching uh, with the youth at our lunch studies through the summer. Do not let, them despi- let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech and in conduct and in faith and in love and in purity. God's design is that these weaker brothers and sisters, those who may be younger, not as far along in their journey of faith as you are, they're setting an example for you by God's design. And you need it if God says set the example. It's not just a caveat or a perk. It's a need. It's a need that you have as designed by God. Parent and child need each other. Husband and wife need each other. Student and elder need each other. Fourth grader and ninth grader need each other. Yes, ninth grader, you need that fourth grader. Brother and sister need each other. Older brother and little brother, yes, you need each other. Older sister, little sister, go with it as far as you want. Everyone's needed and everyone's needy. And here's the thing, God gives us a community of faith, the church, His bride, as a people who meet the needs of each other because they take seriously the truth that indeed different measures of faith result in different beliefs within the same faith. So the second thing to take from this is, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him but not to quarrel over opinions. Everybody, weak or strong, has an opinion, belief, or conviction based on what they know about God. So whether it's deaconing or how to run a VBS or the pink color of the building, Nearly everyone can say, I think it needs to be done this way. I think it should be done this way. Everyone has an opinion. The next thing is that, that that verse reveals is that rather than welcoming one with a different opinion, we have a horrible, horrible tendency to jump from holding opinions to quarreling over them. That's a tendency we all have. You can hold your opinion. You can have your opinion. In fact, this, this chapter says, be fully convinced but don't quarrel over it with someone, who else, someone else who's not fully convinced in the exact same way that you are. It's okay to have an opinion, a conviction, and a belief. Scripture tells us that we're to be fully convinced of what we believe. But to hold our convictions with bold humility, the reality is that most of us will at one time be fully convinced of what we believe, only to find out with further study of the Word and further engagement of community that there was a lot more to it than we originally knew. I know I've been there. When I moved to Greenville, I knew everything there was to know about ministering to students. And then I read my Bible some more and found out there's more to it. 
Then I talked to others who didn't do it exactly the way I did it, and I just figured they're wrong. I'm here at this meeting to help you. <laughs> and they showed me something amazing and new, and I was like, oh, wow, I didn't even think of that. Go figure. I thought I had arrived. Done it with worship ministry. I th- thought the same thing. Oh, yeah, I'm here because I know why, how to do worship ministry. <laughs> and then you talk to someone else who leads worship, and you're like, oh, man, that's beautiful. We, we need that at our church body. Yeah, that's good. Oh, the Scripture, yeah, that's important when it comes to the songs. Here's the thing, and this is not easy. This is not easy at all. The key is being fully convinced yet completely teachable. Fully convinced yet completely teachable. I'm telling you, that's not easy. There's nothing easy about that. To be fully convinced as to what you believe, yet being able to sit down with a, a weaker, one you perceive as a weaker brother who may indeed be a stronger brother, and say, what, how do you feel? What are your thoughts? What do you think the Word says on this? Show me in the Bible. You show me in the Word. I want to I reason together. I want to sit. I want to hear you give a reason that you have for the hope that you have with gentleness and peace. And I want to sit with you and give you the reason that I have for the hope that I have with gentleness and peace. Fully convinced yet completely teachable. Consider these examples. <clears throat> Each one of these is another point where we can have different opinions without quarreling, but often we quarrel. I just want you all to see the reality of where you live. These are all things that I've heard and seen in just six years. Even as I read these examples, you may be answering in your mind, yes, no, I agree, I don't agree. Sin, not sin. Because you likely have an opinion on all of them. When I was reading these to Ben, I got to the point about multiple services. He said, sin, no. (laughs) But we have an opinion. So let me read through these. And you can begin to see how We could have different beliefs, and it could be the same faith, but a lot of times we say, that's not faith. You are a God-hater. No. Who's responsible for leading the church? The pastor? The deacons? The elders? Or the congregation? Ooh, they're fighting words, aren't they? What's the process of hiring a new staff member? The elders hire them? Do we get to vote on them? Should we, hire, should we put together a committee to hire him? Should we put together a committee on committees so that the committee to hire him can report to the committee on committees? How do we hire a new staff member? How do we select a paint color for the new building? What if I don't like the paint color of the new building? How do we have a successful VBS? Is it okay not to go to Mexico on our mission trips? How should our children's ministry be structured? What is our youth ministry responsible for? What style of worship music is best? There is more quarreling over this silly issue. We do it like this, and they don't. They're wrong. Don't. You could be guilty of that here. We have drums and guitar. They have an organ. They're stupid and wrong. God haters. How do we jump to that? You're used to something, you go to something you're not used to, you just say it's wrong. Or someone's used to the organ and they come here. I, got, <laughs> I won't tell it. Sorry. <laughs> they don't have an organ. They must be devil worshipers. Yeah. We jump to big conclusions. What volume of worship music is best? Is it a sin to have corporate worship on a Saturday night? What about multiple services? Should everyone get a vote when it comes to financial decisions? 
Is it wrong to serve real wine at communion? Ooh, man, now they're getting harder. <laughs> Can I have a different view of the Trinity from someone else without bad-mouthing them and calling them blasphemous God-haters? That's hard. I'm fully convinced on my view of the Trinity. I have some I love that hold a very different view, or a slightly different view. Does that mean they're outside of faith? We're not putting together a list. Man, it'd be a lot easier if I could just say, here, here's a list. Y'all go figure that out. Hopefully, we're being equipped to do the work of ministry as we love each other. Can I stand in common faith with a professing believer who believes in infant baptism without bad-mouthing them and calling them blasphemous God-haters? Is, is that possible? You need to be fully convinced on what you believe in baptism. I have a close friend who has a different belief in baptism than I do. And it's funny because it's like, well, who's calling who weaker? We're both calling the other weaker. If he believed that my view was stronger, he wouldn't hold the other view. If I believed that his view was stronger, I would say, oh, let me adopt that. It's stronger. It's not, we're not being mean here. It's a different belief within the same faith. If we were raising funds for adoption, could we stand arm in arm with someone who had that different belief? Or would that just be a deal breaker? No, no, they, they do that. Can I deal with someone wearing torn blue jeans to corporate worship? Or here, leading corporate worship in torn blue jeans? <laughs> Without bad-mouthing them and calling them blasphemous God-haters. Now, don't get me wrong here. I want to talk about what it means to stand in common faith, and we're going to talk a lot more about that next week when we look at the how-to of this. We're still looking at the why. But just because you have an opinion doesn't mean it's faithful. Like, don't mishear me. Just because you are a believer and you have an opinion doesn't mean it's faithful. Remember, if it's sin, it's sin. You got to ask this question, and it's a question that I was introduced to at this, um, this marriage seminar thing. And he said, are you at odds with someone because they've transgressed God's law or because they have transgressed your law? Are you at odds with someone because they've transgressed God's law or because they've transgressed your law? If they've transgressed God's law, we call that sin. Repent of sin, follow Jesus, confess it to your brother so that you may be healed and put it to death. But if they've transgressed your law, it's not as big a deal. If they've transgressed the way that you think it needs to be done, that's not as big a deal. If you've not formed your opinion and belief from the Word, then you are called to be rebuked and admonished. But here's the thing. <clears throat> By God's design, we're not an identical people. By God's design, we are not an identical people. By God's design, this church is not identical with that church. And this church over here is not identical to this church. And that believer right there is not identical to that believer right there. By God's design, hold your convictions firmly. Be fully convinced. If you think it's a sin or maybe a sin or possibly a sin, don't go that direction because anything that does not proceed from faith is a sin, according to the end of Romans 14. But by God's design, we're not an identical people. There's a difference between being uniform and being unified. We are unified. We are like-minded. But by God's design, He will use the same breathed-out word to call two different people to two different things. Within one study, some examples, within one study of the book of Acts, one might say, I'm being called to full-time vocational ministry. The person sitting next to him in the same study might say, I'm going to put the glory of Christ on display in my job as a janitor or an engineer or a teacher or a farmer or an accountant. While the third one says, I'm moving my family to Kazakhstan. 
Same message, same study. Unified responses that are not uniform responses. They're unified if they're not quarreling over this. Here's when they're not unified. When the guy moving to Kazakhstan judges those who are not making the move with him. That's when it's not unified. When he looks at the guy who went into full-time vocational ministry and said, I wish you had gone a step further and done the real deal. Or when the guy who goes into full-time vocational ministry despises the engineer. I wish you spent your time better than in front of that computer all day. That's despising, that's judging, that leads to quarreling. But you can be uniform, unified and not uniform in the response. It's God's design. I like to mow my lawn on Sunday while another likes to utilize Sunday as the day not to mow. It can be a unified response, but it's not uniform. It's not the exact same. One man says, I'm going to buy slash build a big house, and I want to use it to have lots of people over and seek to show the hospitality of the Lord at every opportunity that I can. While another says, I'm going to live on a fraction of my income and give more to global mission opportunities. Uh, Beautiful. Both. Yes. Faithful. Until the guy in the small house looks at the guy in the big house and says, you worldly, worldly God-hater. Or the guy in the big house looks at the guy in the small house and just despises him for thinking he's better than me. I only buy new cars. I only buy used. I like to watch my TV with my family in the evenings. I feel led to get rid of my TV. Faithful, be good. Unified responses, but maybe not uniform. I feel led to homeschool my children. I feel it's best for my children to go to public school. Oh, yeah, they don't ever talk bad about each other. It can be a unified response, but it's very different. They're not uniform. But when that homeschool person looks at those public school people and judges them for making such a foolish decision, you lead to quarreling. Angry parents protecting their children, there's going to be some quarreling there. When that public school family despises that homeschool family, they just think they're better than us. That's divisive. You can both make that decision faithfully. The point is that God has not made all of his children identical. And because of this, he urges us to welcome each other. He didn't make us the exact same. So he urges us by way of Paul to say, welcome your fellow brothers and sisters with different beliefs and don't quarrel. Stop fighting. Just, I mean, maybe I should rename the message. Stop fighting. Quit it. His children are not identical, so he tells them, be careful that you welcome each other. We desperately need work in the area of welcoming. We we all need it. We all need this work. And we're entirely too good at quarreling. Fighting words are not hard to find around here. You say something, you, you believe what? Well, let me tell you what I believe and why you're wrong, probably going, you know. I mean, it is... Snap of a finger. You can have a conversation with someone. Oh, yeah, I love Jesus. I love Jesus too. Oh, man, my church is doing great things. I, I do too. Yeah, you know, it's cool. We have community. They have the wine. The wine? <laughs> we have juice. And this is what, you know what I mean? Like, it, you just see these things. We're fighting words. Man, snap of a finger. And we're, we're, we got our guard up. We're ready to go to town with someone who's a brother or sister in Christ. Because the right standard for us is ours. We're too good at quarreling. Christ died on the cross to break down the walls of hostility. 
do not by any means, by any means, fuel hostility between brothers and sisters in Christ because your view of your opinion is too high in your mind. Here's the thing. I could do this tomorrow. I'm so aware of how easy this is. Tomorrow, I could hear about some ministry they're starting across town, and I could just go, that's never going to work. It's that easy. Do not fuel that hostility. Look at the differences here in Romans 14, the content of the differences experienced. When I'm saying different measures of faith, before I go to this point, I want to make another point is that I'm not just saying this person's faithful in all things, this person's weak in all things, this person's strong in everything, this person's weak in everything. There may be different issues within the faith where there is strength in one area where there's weakness in another, and that same person who's weak in this area may be stronger than this person over here. Like, for example, let's say there's someone who's strong in their faith, and they believe that this is the breathed-out Word of God, inerrant, no flaws whatsoever, and indeed it is life-giving. And there's another person who says, I just don't know. I mean, it's just a book. This person over here, stronger in their faith as it, as it pertains to the uh, validity and the inerrancy of the Word. This person over here, weaker. But it's interesting because take those same two people and the one who believes in this validity and inerrancy of the Word of God could say, you know, I just really have a hard time giving sacrificially. I just, I just don't know about that. That just seems, ah, it's just hard. What if I can't afford my bills? What, what if things get too tight and it doesn't work? While this person over here who's struggling with the inerrancy and the validity of the Word can say, oh, yeah, we give. That's just logical. I've heard that kind of thing happen where it's like, oh, that's just that's what we do. Yeah, that makes sense to me, but I'm just not sure about this. So what I'm saying is that even within fe- these measures of faith, it's not just this person's stronger in everything, this person's weaker in everything. It may differ. That's one of the reasons we need each other. Everyone is needy and everyone's needed. So this content here in verses 2 through 5 says this, one person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It's before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another person esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Here's what we're talking about here in the church in Rome. I want you all to climb into the church in Rome and see the craziness that's going on here. We're talking about the difference between Jew and Gentile. But not just that. The difference between Jew and Gentile is huge. Ben talked about it a couple weeks ago. The thing that Brad read from Ephesians this morning shows these Gentiles were alienated from the commonwealth, strangers to the promises of God, without God, without hope in the world. And the Jews were these people who thought because of the law and the adherence to the law that they were close to God and they were the people of God and that was all and they were very different. And all of a sudden now we have not just Jew but Jewish heritage and not just Gentile but Gentile heritage brought together under the roof of the same church building to worship, to walk, to serve as one in Christ without any hostility, without any despising, without any judging one another. That's a big deal. Very seated, strongly seated in their opinions. They were brought up differently. Your daddy told me different than your daddy. Very different. Consider the Jew in this context. 
It's interesting how Paul, the division was so great that, the, that Paul um, was very uniquely equipped to speak to the bridging of this gap. Paul was a Jew, a devout Jew, who was a Roman citizen, so he could actually travel and tell and say these things, who was the apostle to the Gentiles, who studied under Gamaliel, so he had a unique, very full knowledge of Greek culture and Greek literature and the way that the mind of the Greek worked. So God's saying, yeah, I'm going to use Paul here. And it's interesting because Paul's talking about the same thing that Stephen was talking about when Paul was there approving of Stephen's death when he was stoned. Paul's talking about the same thing here that he first maybe heard from Stephen in the, in the flesh before he died because they killed him. It's unique, but the gap was big. Consider this Jew in this context of the Roman church. My whole life, this food that that Gentile right there is eating has been dirty. My whole life. Try to climb to the mind of that Jewish person. That Gentile is eating that meat. My whole life, this food has been dirty. My father told me that every one of my ancestors abstained from eating that. And if I eat of it for my whole life, I've been told by those that I respect the most and by those that I trust the most that if I eat that, God will not accept me. So I can't just immediately forsake all that and change overnight. These aren't petty differences. Sometimes we can read that and just be like, man, why can't those jokers get along? As if we are. Kosher foods were a big deal. They're a big deal now, 2,000 years later. I saw a thing on the news about a, it was a Jewish deli, and one of the store workers unknowingly accidentally bought non-kosher hot dogs. The video was of the store owner wielding a knife against an angry mob of angry Jews who were going to tell him what they thought about the fact that they had been served dirty meat. This was like a few months ago. And you know what he had to do? He had an issue of public apology. Police had to break it up. And he couldn't just wipe off the equipment that those dirty hot dogs touched. He had to get rid of every piece of equipment in his store and bring in new equipment so that they would believe, yes, indeed, you're serving me clean food. My dad works in the food industry along with other members of my family, and uh, they import and export, you know, spices, and they have food lines, you know, spices from all over the world, and, and uh, a part of the people that they sell to are, are a Jewish community, and the, and the Jewish re- requirement is that you would sell us kosher goods, that they're kosher, that they meet the standard that we have. Do you know what my dad had to do? He had to hire a rabbi who comes in and inspects the facility to see if their claims to kosherness are truly valid. And he comes regularly. And if there's something out of whack, I'm sorry, that's $3,000 worth of black pepper. It's not kosher. Throw it away. Serious. That's the context we're talking about here. The Jews looking and saying, I love and I trust my granddad. And he tells me that's wrong. Think about what it would be like for the Gentile to just say, you're an idiot. You're stupid. Don't, haven't you heard about the Jesus thing? There's some deep-seated belief here that's going to take more than just that long to change. We must be more patient with each other. Consider the Gentile. We could probably relate to this guy more. 
Vegetables only? Are you crazy? My whole life, me, my daddy, and my granddaddy like to get together and have a barbecue, smoke a pig, and eat some meat. Meat's good. And you know what else I think? I think that when we do it, I think God's happy because meat's good. How in the world could you expect me not to eat this meat? It's good. Makes you strong. We do this as a family. Can you imagine how different it would be to grow up that way, generations after generations? The people you love and you trust the most are the ones at the grill firing it up. Can you imagine saying, really, y'all don't eat this? Have you tried it? You see, the differences are huge. Here's the point. Romans 10 says that Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Romans 10 says Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. What that means is if the law was your means to righteousness so that you'd be accepted by God, that is, that's over, and Christ is the end of it now. So Christ is your means to righteousness that God requires. For the Gentiles who never had the law, they hear Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. They say, we never had a law, but now we have Christ. So Christ is the standard of righteousness that God requires. Not the law, not how you were brought up, not just what you think, not what your granddaddy told you or your daddy told you. Jesus, we must first and foremost be a people about Christ before we are about social aspects or barbecues or business or whatever else. We must be first about Christ. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. See, the quarreling that was taking place here was because of this. The Jews were convinced that the Gentiles needed to be more like them. The Jew was looking at the Gentile saying, those guys need to be way more like me. The Gentile was looking at the Jew saying, weirdos, man, they need to be more like us. Consider how many churches are plagued with the notions that everyone else needs to be like them. Consider maybe how your mind has been plagued by how much you think other people need to be more like you. Consider how we can be guilty as a church of thinking that we've got everything figured out and we do everything right and all those other jokers around town in those 90-something other churches, they need to be more like us. Then they'll be tracking. So the Jews saying the Gentile needs to be more like us and the Gentiles saying the Jews need to be more like us and Paul, the Roman Jewish apostle to the Gentiles, comes in and says, you know what? You all need to be more like Christ. How would Christ respond to that Jew who for his whole life has been told by the ones he trusts the most that that will make you unacceptable to God? What did Christ do? He told him the truth. Okay? Be more like Christ. We all need to be more like Christ. You see, here's, the, here's why. If I want you to be more like me, I'm aiming to put my glory on display. If all you want is for me to be more like you, you're putting your glory on display. But if we can stand together embracing the different beliefs that we have in Christ, embracing the same faith that those beliefs can and do fall within, then it's truly the glory of Christ that we will put on display for everyone to see. This community needs that. We desperately need that. In a fractured community that loves to throw verbal stones at everyone else who does something different than them, in a wounded community that's too busy nursing their wounds by trying to prove that they're right. In an angry community that thinks they have every right to harbor their anger and get everyone else to be angry with them. 
in a divided community that thinks joining a church is like joining a team that's against all the other teams, in a foolish community that cares more about numbers than the condition of the heart of the weaker brother. We must stop quarreling. Even the weakest brother is made able to stand because it's the Lord who is able to make him stand. And it's the Lord who sent his perfect son to die on the cross for the sins of our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's wrong for us to judge the sins of another and hold their sins against them when those sins have been forgiven and they have repented to follow Jesus in a like manner. But it goes beyond wrong to utter foolishness, to hold against a brother who has been washed clean by the blood of Christ, to hold that brother in contempt because he has a different belief than me. He thinks it should be done a different way. To hold him in contempt goes against all logic and all reason that Christ died for us to understand. And he holds that belief within the same faith that neither of us deserve. See, if you really believe that you were at one time alienated from the commonwealth, that you were one time without hope and without God in the world, you will not set yourself against someone as though you are so high and mighty and they are so low and foolish and dumb and must hate God to make a decision so foolish. We must come in low. We must, the, play, the ground at the foot of the cross is very level, it's been said. None of us deserve this faith that we are in, but by God's design, there are different measures of faith that will result in different beliefs within the same faith, and we must work through them patiently. We must be patient with each other. We must be able to resolve conflict and not just flee and run away when someone thinks that they're right and another's wrong. There are times where you may be called to leave, and that's appropriate. There are times where you may be a member of a church, and the church is doing so many things that are not of the Lord that you may say, yeah, I think it's time to go. But not every time, not every single difference should result in leaving. I pray that the Lord shows us great mercy and grace that we might not ever continue in such obstinate foolishness misrepresenting his plan to redeem people and make them so that they actually worship him with one voice. That's what it says at the end of, or at the beginning of this next chapter in Romans 15, that these who are so different, this Jew and this Gentile who are looking at each other going, man, this, they're crazy, that they would come together and not worship him with the Jewish voice and the Gentile voice, but with one voice. We cannot do anything to promote hostility and to get in the way of that truth that needs to be rightly represented by people who are bearing with the failings of each other and welcoming each other, but not to quarrel over opinions. Let's pray.